take two. Right. <laughs> uh, okay. So I don't know what we're going to do in terms of like the 20 minutes or so that we sort of kind of got some podcasting done. Uh, but we may not, we, maybe we won't even use that. I don't know. This is running much better. So let's do a quick recap here. Uh, Josh Thompson and Josh Peters are joining us from Atlas Mayor. Uh, a very interesting kind of mixing uh, elements of uh, a quartet, but with some flexibility, mixing uh, all kinds of ethnic and worldly music, various instrumentation, um, kind of like uh, progressive jazz meets uh, Middle Eastern, meets Indian, meets all, all kinds of different interesting things. And one of the things we initially were talking about was one of the instruments, which Josh Peters plays, uh, which he joined in 2018, is the... Ode or oud, oud, uh, which is like an eleven string. So is that it's is it uh, like twelve string guitars where there's little sets of strings, right? Like there's two. Yeah, yeah it's are double coursed. Are they unison or octave or what? They're unisons. Unison. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so we had talked a little bit about that, and uh, and then Joshua Thompson, founding member, plays uh, saxophone. Uh, do you play anything other than that? You play different saxes, though, right? I play mostly alto sax, and then I double on some different flutes. Uh, I play this uh, this Chinese flute called the halusi, mm. um, and uh, I, I play various flutes from time to time. Try to do more of it. Okay, um, but I'm not I, I'm not one of these like saxophone doublers like. I mean, I can, and I sometimes do, but um, I would like to do more of it. Uh, but I've been focusing mostly on the, on alto saxophone and making that my voice, and, gotcha. and cultivating that that voice, you know, in all in all all the musical contexts that I play in, you know. So that's the do goal, you, you know. Do you play other woodwinds as well, saxophone, flute? What's the crossover like to say, like clarinet and some other? you know, members of the Woodwind family. Is it very different or is it like with a lot of stringed instruments, right? You kind of want you kind of have your bearings on one. You go, oh, well, this is tuned this way and kind of start picking out the chords and, you know, figuring out some patterns and it makes it a lot easier. You know, you can, I'm sure it's the same, um, but what is it like in terms of the technique of the mouth, the lips? Obviously it's arranged differently, but do you feel like playing one Woodwind transcends to another or is it, or is it a very different thing per instrument? Uh, there's definitely there's definitely a lot that translates over, uh, but the but the embouchure and the technique is often extremely different. So, um, like for example, like uh, Western classical flute, the fingerings are very similar to the saxophone, uh, like like almost identical in a lot of ways, uh, but the the embouchure is super different. Uh, it's it takes a, a lot more air, for example. Uh, it takes more air to blow across uh, a flute than it does to play a baritone sax for example hmm, interesting. which you wouldn't which because you're blowing across the instrument and uh, yeah interesting yeah you would for some reason wouldn't think that you think the flute kind of lighter and airy yet, but that's yeah. interesting what's your first instrument alto saxophone alto sax <laughs> instrument so was yeah. this from like and now we talked uh you are from oh gosh with dearborn yeah I, i'm from dearborn michigan it's a it's yeah. a it's a enclave. It's a Middle Eastern enclave of, of Detroit. Okay. Uh, 
So you got a lot of really cool culture and influence being there. And like you were saying, there are a lot of different cultures right there. Plus you're in the Motown Mecca. And, and so you just got all this cool exposure, I think pretty early on, but where did you start? What inspired you to start playing music? How old were you? Was it a band thing or, or what led to you playing sax to begin with? Yeah, I was, it was a classic, uh, you're in school and you're in, let's see when you're in third grade you they, they you get to play the flutophone or whatever and then in fourth grade they start you know introducing instruments or maybe it's third grade yeah and then you know i just i just knew i wanted to play it right away my mom played flute my dad played trumpet oh okay and i i, I grew up around music uh my grandmother actually um uh worked in the studio and a lot of the studios of detroit with like the whole motown scene Oh wow! Like, like her, her good friend was like with the Joe Hunter, the keyboard player, who was like on a, on a lot of the Funk Brothers sessions yeah. and everything. She actually helped him edit his autobiography. Oh, yeah, it's <laughs> great. Yeah, so I, so she like so I, you know, I, I grew up hearing a lot of stories. I grew up, um, you know, um, uh, just you know, hearing a lot about about you know that that tradition. Uh, one of my grandmother's um, very best friends was uh, Choker Campbell who was the one who did a lot of the arranging and was the band leader for one of the tour to um, a kind of like Motown review touring groups. And this is like in the seventies, okay. uh, like late seventies uh, with members of the four tops and the temptations, those versions of those bands at that time right. later, you know, cause obviously they split off and changed a lot over the years with, you know, um, you know, all the labels and people leaving and new people coming into the, into these uh you know particular groups but so that's sort of a, a backdrop a, a lot of like my history and just going to like um what used to be montro jazz festival in detroit it's now it has a corporate name but i'm not going to repeat uh but um you know just like going to that free festival it, it's like the biggest free festival in america i think for jazz and just seeing all these incredible acts from a very young age and um you know the opportunity to to be surrounded by that music in detroit i mean that's one of the strengths of the city mm-hmm. and then when i went to uh when i was living in ann arbor when i was at the university of michigan um their program you know um josh peters was talking about being in denton in the, in the music program there and the music scene there also ann arbor has a great um phenomenal um multiple series uh, ranging from Indian classical music to Middle Eastern music. Like when I was a student there, um, the great violinist Simone Shaheen from uh, Beirut, he was doing like an in-residency month thing in Detroit. So he would go, he would be at Wayne State University. He would be at the University of Michigan. So I got to see and and like sit in on master classes and yeah, so that really piqued my interest at a at a time um, um, at a very specific like developmental time in my music uh, relating to my curiosity in music. So it kind of hit me at the right time. Uh, but just a lot of things like you know like we you know just amazing like you know avant garde jazz shows, uh, you know amazing like funk shows and and things happening in Detroit. So you know uh, there was a lot a lot there that I could dig into and that was pretty accessible to me. You know, um, I would say in my you know, definitely in my early twenties for sure, and and um, you know, being a teenager and stuff prior to that, up and through, you know, up up until the time that I moved to Austin, you know, in two thousand eight. 
Okay, cool. Yeah. You know, it's that question too. Uh, yeah. And to t- say what you just did, cause we were talking about it, um, uh, before we had some technical problems, uh, Josh Peters, um, from Austin, Texas, but went up to school to study music in Denton. Right. Um, is that right? What is it called? North, uh, North Texas. Yeah. North, North Texas. Texas. Though um, I'm not, I'm not from Austin, but uh, I thought you said you were from Austin. Oh, no. no, no, I'm from like a little, Oh yeah. Little not town. even, not even a town. Yeah, uh, way out in the middle of nowhere, kind of in between San Antonio and uh, Del Rio, kind of. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Uh-huh. Uh huh. In that little stretch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that when I was a kid because my grandma lived in Del Rio, and we'd always drive through San Antonio. I lived in College Station for a long time, and we mm-hmm. drive through there. And then there was the Hondo and Hondo, Baldi yeah, and that's... and. Um, unfortunately, in recent times, Uvalde has uh, become you know a, a, a tragic you know. Yeah, tragedy. But um, yeah, I remember all those small towns. So that that was your little. That's where I was. Yeah, that's very different from the Detroit uh, sort of. (laughs) With all the influences uh, Josh Thompson was getting there, you're kind of out in the mix, like you're in some old country. And but I think you were saying you listen to classic rock, right? You got into some Zeppelins and Yes, or your or your mom, parents, or somebody. You kind of had some initial influence in that realm yeah because i was living at the growing up it was me my mom and my grandparents and so my grandparents were playing all the old country and swing and you know stuff from the 50s and 60s and even some earlier stuff um and my mom was playing uh, all of her favorite you know 70s and 80s music which was a lot of a lot of different stuff. You know, there was some some rock and some kind of early metal stuff and some prog stuff. And there was like, you know, your all your 80s synth pop. And so there was a lot of a lot of that kind of cross section of American music for my mom. And then also um, a good a pretty good bit of classical and jazz. Nice. Um, nice. Which was something that you know, I can thank my mom for because she kind of introduced that into my musical uh, diet pretty early on because she had read somewhere that it was good for brain development. <laughs> right. Yeah. I used to oh. be wired in every school during nap time. Yeah. Yeah. Like. So, and that was what I really gravitated toward was the specifically the jazz um, pretty early on. But yeah, I had a lot, a very, very different, um, you know, kind of experience from from Thompson growing up in the very ver- urban, diverse kind of world. Uh, well, your 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 um, your family did well by you, though. You know, they that sounds like they gave you a nice palette of, uh, you know, stuff to to kind of absorb. And you said you started with piano. Yeah. How old were you when you started playing piano? I was, I think, I was six or seven. Okay. And then not too long after guitar and kind of this. Yeah. I kind of started picking up guitar a few years later. And you play trumpet, right? And I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Yeah, And trumpet was the instrument I actually went to school for. And uh, that was kind of my main, my main instrument for a a number of years. And it still is. Um, I've been getting more, been getting back into it. I kind of took time off from trumpet after school for a few years. And it's a, it's an instrument that really takes, if you take time off, it really takes a toll on your, mm. your embouchure and your ability to get that where, uh, get back to where you were. Sure. Josh, do you feel the same on saxophone or, or any woodwind for that matter? Like it's, there's that factor, the physical factor. 
Absolutely. I mean, if you, if you take time off, uh, I feel like, you know, saxophone can be a little bit more forgiving than brass instruments. Mm. Uh, I would say brass even more so, uh, yeah. but, but definitely uh, flute saxophone. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean um, you have to, you have to have a consistent regimen to be able to, um, to deliver uh, to, to any type of standard, you know, yeah. definitely. Yeah. You know, um, it's crazy. I, I mean, like a lot of times, I mean, like, like I I'll practice and, um, you know, like coming out of the pandemic, like you realize, like when you're not gigging, like there's like musicians will talk about, like, there's like gigging shape and, mm, yeah. you, know, you know, there's like, right. Okay. But I definitely feel like with horns, like for me personally, my experience, uh, you know, playing and the pandemic, I, you know, I did so much rehearsing, uh, so much practicing and it was very, you know, very healthy from that standpoint, uh, you know, yeah. uh, you know, that was one of the nice things about the pandemic. Uh, you know, there weren't too many nice things about the pandemic, obviously, but, uh, but, but I also realized that like, once I got back to playing shows again, like that's a whole nother mentality yeah. physical mentality and it's like that for everybody but i think when you're pushing air and when you're you're breathing and you know you also have to take care of yourself or else you're gonna sound like shit honestly. yeah I, I feel i relate yeah. to that as just from like a vocal standpoint something that is actually requiring lung capacity and breath and and because it's like i can sit around and play some songs on you know sitting down on acoustic guitar and maybe around the house or whatever but then it's like getting on stage and like exerting that energy under the lights and that whole thing. It's like, that's very different. And I, I've found that for me, um, it, you know, if I'm not in shape or consistently doing it, like coming back into doing that, or even just a rehearsal, it's very different, you know, with the band and the, mm -hmm. and everything amped up, so to speak and all that. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh my gosh, like I am out of shape and it always kind of takes me, a little, you know, a little bit of time to kind of get back there. So I imagine it's very similar for those types of instruments. One thing I wanted to ask about yeah. horns, or I mean, I, we're dealing with woodwinds and brass, two different things. But um, like, I know, obviously, like you've got trumpet B flat, you've got these uh, that not everything's con concert pitch. Are are the saxophones all concert, or are you in different? Uh, saxophones are alto and baritone. Are um in E flat, the E flat instruments. So oh, yeah. we're transposing. Um, and then um, uh, tenor and uh, soprano are in B flat. That's, oh. that's the easiest explanation. But you guys are actually on the, <laughs> So you guys are actually on the same page with the B flat business, right? As no, as, as, no? trumpet not, and sax. Trumpet and not trumpet and alto trumpet and uh, tenor tenor, yeah. and soprano. Oh, old. I thought you said I thought you said so. Alto and baritone are alto e is flat. E flat. Yeah, correct. Yeah, so you're and transposing then, up a minor third, or how does that? It's actually, it's actually you're actually uh, it's 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 above, but you transpose down. Okay, so yeah, so you're transposing down a minor third. Yeah, for that exactly, okay. exactly. So yeah. you know, and it, it's funny because we had this conversation with this um, Balama player. And and uh, I feel like I'm, I'm one of the few people that understand him because I live my life in the realm of E flat. Uh -huh. uh, but he has like this like this relative like moving, like he he has a, a two options of a tonal center for his instrument, and one and sometimes it's in B flat, uh, it's an E flat, and sometimes I think it's an E. 
and anyways it causes a lot of problems but uh what it's 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 uh well um it's a turkish instrument called the balama uh also known as saz um that's not the what's the big triangle guitar bass thing you're thinking of uh balalaika probably balalaika yeah yeah yeah. makes me think of the you know the guys uh the balalinka brothers right those yeah 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 Mm -hmm. One of the yeah, other bands that that break out the the instruments that those average folk are like, whoa, what's that thing? <laughs> no, their van is great. Like, oh yeah, their van. I, yeah. I love that yeah. van. Like, it's great, great, great concept. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. I I was uh, I mean, you know, Josh Robinson, the Invincible Czars. I think yeah, I don't. Yeah, Josh. I mm-hmm. He may have even reached out to you. I know your name came up when we were talking about touring and you yeah, know, yeah, for, yeah, for, yeah. For I remember versatile, Yeah, for versatile woodwind players and stuff, and um. But Aaron Russell played in that band for a while, but now he's he also played with Flying Balinka Brothers, and he's a uh, Balinka Brothers. And now they're out. I think I don't some kind of cool cir- traveling circus gig or some crazy shit. I haven't kept up with it very well, but uh, yeah, I do remember that van. <laughs> I saw those guys way back in the day at um, Rudamaya. Did you ever play that place? I imagine you probably did. Yeah, it's been shut yeah. down a while now, but yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, now. yeah, that that was like one of the epicenters of. Uh, of of the scene uh 10 years ago you know yeah. um and then it's just you know uh because we, there was a long history because you know rudamaya was downtown and it right. moved in the, the penfield and all that but hey going back to the uh, invincible czars this is kind of an origin story of the band so i used to live above phil davidson right yeah has so phil ever like, played with you guys because you said no, something he hasn't. Like, oh man yeah i know phil loves you guys but uh yeah he, he's yeah, an old Phil's awesome man so yeah, good. And, and when the band was getting started, he, he was our neighbor. So no kidding. Yeah, there's like that that old connection. And uh, you know, Phil is a, a sweet guy and uh you know, a very talented player, you know. Yeah. And uh we would have to coordinate his lessons with our rehearsals and ah, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Uh it's such a small, you know, I always find the six degrees thing happening regardless, even worldwide somewhat, but but here in Austin, I mean, there's so many musicians and so many bands. It's like daunting and impossible to keep up with. But at the same time, it's it's funny how you always kind of go, oh, yeah. And then you were neighbors with that guy and you knew that guy. And I mean, you and I, you know, meeting in 2009 yeah. or whatever with a jam with Mike Molina. My Bastard yeah. Children, that's the name that's of the it, band. That's it. That's My the Bastard one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I, I think so, I'm on two tracks or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a yeah. very uh, <laughs> sort of progressive rock meets jazz jammy yeah. kind of you know stuff like that. But uh, yeah, man. And then it's funny because seeing your name around, maybe we've crossed paths a few times. I don't remember, but I, you know, I saw you recently at South by Southwest. Tell us about that. Have you played South by before? Was this the first year? And how does that whole thing come about? Um, we were accepted as a band. In into South by Southwest in 2020, that yeah. didn't happen, obviously. So this was our second year, I guess, technically being in the festival or being affiliated with the festival, right, or whatever, yeah. right? Uh, um, I played South by myself and other groups since uh, consistently since 2013, and then I, I played South by I think the first time I moved here in 2008. Uh, I, I play I was playing African music. With this guy Bubakar Daibate at Copa, which is another great club that no longer exists. That was another place that was like kind of an epicenter of uh, kind of the world music scene for a number of years. Uh, that was on uh, Congress. I'm not familiar with that place. I don't yeah, that, it was like a salsa oh, wow. club. Yeah, it was a great, it was a great club. 
and uh there used to be all kinds of stuff that was happening there so you know like copa momos oh and yeah Rudabai, those are like the three of, of the scene from back then that are you know not around anymore but that was that was mm-hmm. the vibe back then you know um where yeah, was I mean, played uh, for South by you had I don't know how, how many shows you had. I think I saw you guys at a place. I think there was a well, it was maybe bad to say now Russian theme theme, you know, or uh, what was that bar you played at though? Am I thinking of the right place? Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, go ahead. What was no, that place yeah. called? That's uh, well, it was it was it was Russian House, right? Russian House, and then it was I don't know if they have permanently renamed it house nostrovia well it doesn't exist now it's but gone. now it doesn't exist it's yeah. gone. really yeah. oh uh, it's gone it's that's, gone it's yeah. a cool place man it was a very cool place really and it was a good place. it was a yeah really good people good food darn uh great great atmosphere and it was a you know it was a place that we played in uh you know we played with indimage there quite a bit uh atlas mayor has played there a number of yeah, times yeah for sure. Uh, but um, yeah, I don't know if they're going to reopen somewhere or if it's just done, but hopefully they'll they'll find another spot. Yeah. Uh, I always think of this place too, back to the Lincoln Brothers. Like I think I saw them once at the, some Mediterranean restaurant down. Maybe it's by North Loop or something. I could be wrong. Probably Ferris. Ferris, right? You guys, Farrah's. No, you guys no, yeah. there? Yeah, I used to play there. Yeah. Not there anymore sure, either? Sure. Yeah, it's Not gone too. Shit, yeah. man. Oh. Yeah. The hell, Austin! <laughs> Nobody can afford fucking rent anymore, right? That's yeah. losing their leases. Ah. Anyway, yeah. Now you guys, have, yeah, <laughs> wonderful times, right? Fucking, like, yeah, it's great. Four hundred dollars. I was gonna, just going to bring up touring. Like, what a horrible time to tour because gas is just. You might as well, you know, walk. I don't know. It's it's <laughs> everything is just so stupid expensive right now. But um, you guys have toured as well, and not only nationally, you've toured internationally. You've played, uh, I don't know if it was some festivals, but also just toured the region like France, Spain, the Mediterranean, stuff like that, right? Yeah, yeah, we, we haven't uh, been back since the pandemic, we're, we're, uh, but we want to, you know, obviously start touring again uh, when it makes sense and when the, when the time is right, you know, because, you know, during every album cycle and everything, you want to get everything together and so, you know, like coming out of the pandemic, we've, our, our mission has been to like, you know, uh, ideally, you know, push things forward in a way that, that makes sense. And we have to be a little bit more selective right now because of like the barriers you're talking about with gas and everything. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, we, we will be hitting the road uh, hopefully next year. Yeah. Uh, and we're working on that now, but yeah, we've uh, historically toured in, in Spain, France, and then Turkey, and we would love to expand on that, you know, so are you more looking into uh, like touring Europe, those kind of tours, as opposed as a as opposed to the U.S. or do you do U.S. stuff equally, or do you have a preference for one or the other? Does one seem better than the other? I would feel um, like regionally in, in in some of those European countries would make sense, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting, you know, because sometimes you you go to places that you think that you would have like super like a really good fan base because we you of perceived commonalities and mm. music, and sometimes it's not quite like that. You know, sometimes we have receptive audiences and places that you wouldn't even think of. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I mean, to answer your question, we you know try to do like you know a bit of both, and, and while also like expanding 
to new markets that make sense for us, you know, because uh, obviously you want to have like a, you know, you want to route tours, you want to, you want something to be sustainable and consistent and, you know, uh, it's not always easy bringing a band overseas. So, you know, you got to have some, some good anchors over there to anchor gigs to make that stuff happen. Fortunately, we have a great rhythm section and both in, uh, in Spain and France that we've used. So the nice thing about how we, we, we structure our group is we, you know, we, we, we plan for that kind of flexibility, you know, to be able to do that. Uh, but you know, uh, it's also nice to to have a consistent group and bring, you know, the same guys out on the road. You know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, little by little, you know, baby steps, you know, right. uh, it's been a long grind and, and we're going to keep grinding. And that's cool. You know, we're we're enjoying the process, I think, right now, you know. Right. And you've been through, uh, you know, different rosters here. You've played with different musicians abroad, which, you, you know, like you said, you kind of have to do in a practical world. Right. And. Um, from logistic standpoint, monetary standpoint, all these different factors. But right now, are you two guys kind of the core? And would you both be the mm-hmm. touring sort of members? And then it just can the other guys are kind of contingent on where you're going and scheduling and all that kind of thing. Yeah, Josh yeah. Peters and I are the core. Yeah. Right. Go ahead, go ahead, uh, Mr. Peters. Uh, t- tell me your thoughts on this. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're we're definitely the the core of the group. We're you know we're the the composers and the arrangers. And, and yeah, and at least historically when we've, when we've toured, it's been, you know, the two of us will go somewhere and then we have a rhythm section that's kind of local to the area we're going to be in. Um, and even here in Austin, like we have multiple people in the, the rhythm section because a lot of times you try to book a gig and, oh, this person can't do it. This person can't do it. Okay. This person's going to do it. You know, so it's uh, that's kind of how the band operates at this point, right? Yeah, and and really, I mean, you know, um, if you want really good musicians in your band, they're they're good for a reason, and they're in demand for a reason. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you right. know what I mean. So if you that's want trade off, I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, we want really good musicians. And fortunately, <laughs> we've built this up to the point where we can get really good, you know, players in our band. And, uh, but you know, the, yeah, that, that's a trade off, but that's okay. I mean, you know, we yeah. have, you know, it's been working. Is it always ideal? No, but, uh, it's been working and it's cool. You know, uh, you know, we like playing with the, the cats that we have, you know, like, uh, Stefan Del Bosque, Aaron Parks, Jason McKenzie. These are like our rhythm section guys. Uh, and then we've had recently, you know, Gary Calhoun James, who's been around for a long, long time. So I, I guess the nice part at this point is like you version of the band. Yeah. And you've, you've played, you've been around yeah. long enough. Right. And you've kind of networked and, and met and played with a lot of different people. So you have that network where like, here's what's going on. We kind of go through the Rolodex and see who's available. And it's, mm-hmm. it's not always see, it sounds like it's not um, at this point, like new guys, like you kind of got a lot of go-tos, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So probably at least some sort of familiarity with the, uh, with the material and stuff. And then you just say like, Here's the set that we're, you know, here's kind of the batch of songs that we're we're focusing on, and you know, revise or learn the material, and you just try to get in a rehearsal. Is there ever a fly by the seat of your pants type gig, or is it always like definitely rehearsed? Um, 
you know, it, it, Atlas Mayor is like not a gig that you can really just roll in too easily and sub on. Not twelve bar so, blues. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not quite like that. I mean, you you know, we we need we have you know, it, it takes a level of trust with players for sure. Sure, sure yeah, can make that happen. Yeah, um, you know, because like uh, like somebody went up to me. Okay, what we we played a show um, a couple months ago, and the, uh, what our our drummer that night um he he couldn't make the gig uh because he like had a heat stroke near like over like overheating like he went to the doctor like he went to the hospital couldn't play the gig so we last minute we couldn't find a sub one of our of our crew who can make it work so we played as a trio without without drums so it was like upright bass oud saxophone it was it was really nice uh we've done that that option too yeah yeah Mm -hmm. i mean we've done that before it's not a preferred option always yeah but the point is is that this other drummer that was there in the crowd he came up to me and he's like oh man i didn't know he's like man i want to play with you guys uh i I knew that you you know you know knowing that you didn't have a drummer and i was thinking to myself you know i don't i don't want to be like hey man like that 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 doesn't happen right (laughs) you know what i mean i'm not going to say that look dude like i like your your music is uh you know what you guys do is is far more now there's a lot of obviously i mean it's kind of a, a lot of it's i guess somewhat in that sort of jazz vein right you have a head or a melody right and then you can take it and explore a bit and then come back to it not everything obviously there's there's much written stuff too but but obviously you have uh room for improvisation but the whole sure. thing is not improvisation you know and it's not sure. it's not yeah. like stepping into like a repertoire of jazz standards or blues standards and i've dealt with that and i think what happens sometimes too especially perhaps maybe with drummers uh is you go yeah yeah i've subbed these gigs i can pop right on in because it's you know you're always dealing with this sort of 12 bar a shuffle or a four four and you don't you kind of catch the changes oh i'll go to the right here it's like no dude this music is not like that like you have got to even with just like a rock band that has elements mild elements of progressive here and there it's like i've had guys want to show up and phone it in you're like you cannot do that (laughs) you gotta know the freaking song man you gotta know the changes so uh i can i can relate and i'm not even nearly uh, at at the level of what you guys do and the complexity what you guys do so i i agree i mean it's it's kind of it's like i appreciate your your sentiment and your confidence but no (laughs) right yeah it doesn't work that way yeah, it just doesn't work. I, I mean, like somebody coming in uh, not knowing the material, it'd be. A, I mean, oh, we would have what we would do is we would just start calling tunes that would work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> We'd yeah. have to change what we wanted to do completely. Yeah. You know. Uh, you know. And I'd only Atlas Moore pl- performs Autumn Leaves over and over again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not, but uh, <laughs> yeah. you, you never know. I mean, we can play it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> okay, he'll just switch keys now. And, and yeah. again. No, that's cool. Like, but yeah, it's it's actually great uh, having the trio option or even do like you guys can mix it up like that. And if there is a situation that you can kind of, you know, get still get through the gig, right? You know, in a situation like that and not have, yeah, because um, yeah, that's certainly better than just like, you know, putting a, a trust into some random dude coming on stage. Not a good move. Not a good move. No. I, I mean, honestly, I, I would feel more comfortable having Peters play solo oud for two hours, right? Right. Doing something like that because uh, he would kill it. Right. It would be great. You, you know what I mean? So it's just like you have to have, we have a lot of trust. Do we have flexibility? Yes. 
Um, would we like there to be, you know, um, uh, everybody available at every time to rehearse three, three, four, five times a week? That'd be great, you know. Yeah. Um, Not so, gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why I know. we gotta get. The, that's why we gotta get the money where you know better, so that we can start demanding. Right. Money. Yeah. yeah. I, I get. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> there, there is a long process to this whole to this whole thing. Um, I was gonna go. I'm afraid maybe if you can do it, Vic, because you're I think you've you're you have better education than me. I'm looking at their website at the biography and I started I was like, I'll read some of this and I was like, wait, there's words in here I don't know how to say. So maybe I won't <laughs> read it. Um but yeah, like I was saying a little bit earlier, it says combining elements of progressive jazz, Middle Eastern, Latin American, Indian music traditions. There's a lot of different stuff going on. Um I, really what I wanted to touch on was some of the places you guys have played. Uh, yeah, tell us about like okay, so we, we you know talked a little bit like you going over to Europe and everything, but you played uh, some various festivals and stuff like that, right? A little bit, yeah. Um, like we did, uh, we were the cultural ambassadors of Austin. I'm sorry, the the creative ambassador. It was the creative ambassadors to Austin 2019. Yeah, so we got a grant and we went over there. We played the 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 Auger, uh uh, France, they have a thing called Austin Days. It's a festival. Oh, nice! And we played there at this really great venue called Joker's Pub. Uh, it's like this. It's like this place. It looks like it's like this divey place, and you're like, "What the hell? This, like, this is like a, like the best venue in town." And then you like go to the back, and then like you go down, and it's like this great venue. Yeah, like with a great sound system. Reminds me of like uh, like you see Broken Spoke from the outside, and you're like, "Oh, it looks like a little shack." And you go in, it's like a pretty big dance hall, you know. Yeah. yeah, and this place has like a pretty beefed up system. It's it's almost like a mini, uh, kind of like how one to one used to be. Oh yeah, like, yeah. Like really nice, like that, or like AC. Amazes me, amazes me a little bit of three ten, but mm -hmm. it's not as big. Yeah. But that kind of vibe, like really nice. That's um, another one that uh, recently went away, which is a total bummer, man. One to one was a cool place. You guys played there, yeah. I imagine, or no? Yeah, yeah, for um, sure. Yeah, in this group and as well as in other bands, and uh, that, yeah, uh, you know, I do. Um, I used to work for a festival called Wobion Fest, that was a world music festival. Uh -huh. uh, Atlas Mayor actually played this festival in 2015, but I used to curate like uh, like world music events there with uh, Jake Sudini Vasan, my friend and my former boss. But we used to work with Destiny and uh, and Greg all the time. And ah, right. Okay. For, for a long time, we were doing showcases there. And, you know, like yeah. everything, you know, uh, at that time, it was, you know, this is over five years ago. But I mean, you know, um, there was a lot of cool stuff happening there and, and not just limited to like, you know, uh, you know, international music, but like, you know, great jazz and blues. And yeah, like, that's what I love. All kinds of stuff, you know. Those venues that really showcase a lot of stuff, like they'll have everything from some R and B to, to rock to world music to jazz. I mean, it's great, you know. Yeah. What What are some of your favorite venues? I mean, we've talked about some that unfortunately aren't here anymore, but what are some of your favorite current venues here in Austin, or just in general that you played around the country or wherever? <laughs> yeah. Uh, hmm. Just say Red Rocks and then nothing else. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean here in austin i don't know i always enjoy there's certain there's some videos that i enjoy playing because of the vibe and then there's other venues that i enjoy playing because of the actual like quality of the stage and the sound system and that sort right. of thing 
Um, so like, I mean, Sahara lounge. Oh yeah. It's yeah. always great for the vibe and the, the, you know, the people, I mean, the such food, a small little hole you know? ball, dude, but I always see everybody playing there, man. Like, yeah, like that, that musicians seem to love that place. Right. I mean, it's, just a, yeah, it's a great place. Um, it's a great, like old school Austin kind of vibe. Right. Um, but the sound isn't always great, you know, and it's, uh, so there's that aspect of it, right? Where right. it's like you love playing there for the vibe and for the people and the atmosphere, but not necessarily the sound. And then like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a place I played recently that had really felt really good. I mean, actually, meanwhile, we had a gig in Meanwhile Brewing recently, um, and that was really nice. We were really big. That's uh, here. Very, I heard of that. Meanwhile, very nice stage, good yeah. sound, pretty good crowd. Um, people were, people were into it. Um, empire, we played, uh, we've played empire several times recently and that's, that's always fun. Yeah. I remember seeing um, you all there and I wasn't able to catch that show, but, um, that was that the indoor empire or outdoor outdoors. Uh, outdoor, oh, it was yeah. outdoors. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. On the, yeah. On the control room. Yeah. I think the last three times, yeah, we've, we've done some pretty, Pretty cool uh, gigs there. Uh, on yeah. Some really great bills, like since nice. yeah the last couple of years. So that's been nice, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and and you're always getting like an interesting cross section of people that, that mm-hmm. go there. Um, and, and we try to you know be selective with what we're doing there with whom and uh, you know making it you know being strategic about you know and in general like being strategic about the gigs that we do. Um, choose to take on uh, we're yeah. playing a festival um on the 24th in about yeah, a week and a half at uh at crash box it's a theater on bulm road okay. it's uh en uh, mass fest uh 2022 it's the new media art and sound series or okay. sound summit uh and it's um we have a, a special guest roberto Riggio, with us from atash and we have Indrajit Banerjee uh, as well joining us, uh, and we're we're exploring. Uh, we we released an album in, in 2014 called Palindrome, and it was a completely improvised album. Oh wow! Oh okay. Uh, so now, so now, like Atlas Myer Palindrome is kind of like a sub, like a like a project of the band. I saw that on your website actually on the on your dates, and I was wondering what that meant in that context because it specifically says the palindrome right there next to that yeah, yeah. and the, the idea is that we use a lot of the um creative approaches and and, and uh, musical experiments that we use to track that record uh and then you know in that spirit of that album we're now using it as a project to to do other creative things uh we we um kind of brought this back before the pandemic uh for the same festival uh, but with a different mm-hmm. configuration as a quintet with uh, a guitar player, Jonathan Horn, who's a colleague of mine in other music settings as well. Um, so, yeah, it's it's fun. It's different. Uh, it's yeah. it's um, you know, it's a very organic, uh, wild approach at times. Uh, and, and, and we go, you, you know, years later, you become better improvisers. You become better listeners. Uh, right. you, you become better at implementing certain ideas. So I really saw sort of like the um, the possibilities of of of, of the Palindrome uh, album, and then bringing that in as a as a project that we do from time to time. Or maybe we'll yeah. make another record like it like that at some point. 
um, you know, so, uh, uh, so that's been really nice, you know, uh, and, and this time we have, you know, like Indian sitar being played in probably a pretty different context <laughs> yeah. that he's used to playing, you know, uh, but like, you know, um, it's, it's a process. And, uh, and anytime we do this, it, 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 like, we, like, it really feels like, what the hell are we doing sometimes, you know, like, is this going to work? And usually it works, you know, uh, but you get to a rehearsal and then, you know, you, you make some changes or like what we wanted to do with this particular festival. Uh, we realized that, you know, well, we decided we mutually to make some changes and, uh, you know, based on conversations and things, you know, ways to kind of articulate kind of what the, what the, the sonic approaches of the show, because it's basically like, uh, there's no songs. It's completely improvised. So the whole 45 minute show is all improvised. So, so you're looking at like the whole show as like one large composition. Yeah. That's yeah. cool, man. And so that album that was done that way. And then you, you just found the moments to split it into, into tracks or how did, how did that happen in terms of putting that into a tangible album form? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So basically like how, how the original album was done is um, we had a quartet, a uh, core quartet, and then we brought in different musicians uh, to guest on the record. And then we, we, we actually had four recording sessions. So <laughs> it was a really, actually a really long, long process to, to finish the album in terms of like post-production editing. Yeah, uh, uh, the mixing uh, the, that was never an issue. It was the editing and deciding democratically what we like and who right. likes what, and then naming things, and then and then it ended up being a double album. Yeah, uh, that's uh, right. Right. You know, so, was... Yeah. Let me go look here because I yeah on... a pretty good pretty good body of work. So I was having a hard time. Go ahead, Dick. No, I was just looking at the the album on. Um on spotify and the way it's numbered it looks like right. it, yeah it's like two distinct sections right yeah yeah and that was I, a, that, that, that was really interesting because and it was around this time that we were working on that album which was around the time that we went to turkey so like we were like a lot of you know like a lot of us were studying like classical turkish music and then we're editing like this super freeform record like a lot even at that time it was like a real big like jump and like um creatively and what we were doing so it was cool you know very cool yeah I, I was checking out your list of collaborators on on the website and it looks like lulu is one of those from thievery corporation yeah yeah and it listen to the music it, it kind of got that you know that they, they have a very similar uh type of world music vibe to them as well that's pretty interesting is is she one of the collaborators collaborators on this album or is that just like a gig or no i um i actually saw her not that long ago it's a hair lounge uh a, a little while back uh no um i worked with her and myself and charlie lockwood the original oud player he and i worked with uh vocalist uh, uh farid shafanuri on a persian concert and she was a guest vocalist so we did okay. this whole like persian show with her and that's how we met was like at the Scottish Rite Theater. We did this whole production and uh, she's great. And, you know, uh, it was great seeing her recently. And, uh, and I know that she's been, she's been touring pretty, pretty heavily. Uh, but, but, you know, that's the interesting thing is like, you know, with the scene, 
um there's a lot of a lot of crossover with groups and um yeah you know uh it's always enriching and it's always it always makes for for good conversations i think you know there's always a lot to learn from different people across genres and traditions and you know there's always you know there's a lot of nights in the city you know there's always a lot of music happening <laughs> yeah there's been a lot of nights a lot of nights you know a lot of late nights you know yeah i i definitely i definitely dig uh their music another another one that i was listening to that uh it's probably been a few years now since i've been listening to them but it kind of reminds me of that same type of world music but with distortion added to it uh it's a band out of sweden called goat Hmm. um but uh i i you probably dig it uh but uh it's very very similar concepts of right kind of really psychedelic dirty distortion added to it but like this world vibe and kind of the same instrumentation so i thought it was really interesting cool yeah nice. i've heard of this band but i'm not i'm not hip to the material but I yeah. yeah uh yeah. i think i had started <clears throat> asking earlier about uh Stute, like where you record, right? Mm. Studios mm-hmm. and stuff. And were you saying you're up? Who's the upright bassist? Uh, Gary Calhoun James. Is yeah. he? It is. So is one of your members is that you work out of his studio? Is he an engineer as well? Or Yeah, he's an engineer as well. Okay. Um, I've kind of followed him. I mean, the last, since we've been recording, uh, Peters and I with the mm-hmm. band, we've we've recorded with Gary and uh, at King Electric. And then most recently at Hen House, King Electric closed during the pandemic. Yeah. So, um, so you know, we've also worked out of his home studio. He's doing more home studio work. Uh, so yeah, he is an engineer by trade and uh, as well as a musician. So, um, you know, that, you know, we've recorded in a lot of different places, but with Gary, um, you know, d- depending on you know what the fit was and the budget was at that time, and you know, whatever you can do to get something off the ground. Uh, but you know, Gary's been great and, uh, you know, I, I really, I really trust him, um, with these recordings and, uh, we have a good rapport together, you know, how far back um, does he go with the band? He actually was in the band when the band began in oh. 2009. And then he left the band. Like he was, uh, the, the band basically was like going to break up, like it was a new group and uh-huh. he left the band and then the big, the band continued on. And then he kind of came back working with us, like four or five years later and it was like a completely different band at that point uh, as an actual member of playing a performer. right exactly yeah sure as a performing member of the band he, he came back and uh yeah he, he came back like during the second incarnation of the band uh when we had a new drummer uh you know but was he working with you guys as an engineer on the recordings in that time or was no that- he wasn't okay. at that time he was not we had so the uh, early albums are, are right. totally different right the early albums uh the atlas my self-titled ep and then our first album four shades was engineered by josh peters and mine our, our friend donald w moore aka shout out to the audio whisperer now in la yeah uh, but, but, but we recorded in his his at-home studio he well he actually had a, a facility off of cameron road Oh, okay. uh, for a while uh, 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 like uh, uh, in the in this like kind of like strange like shady like um <laughs> like uh, office building and he had like this like this ad hoc studio and like there was like an accountant next door it was crazy <laughs> and like we recorded in the studio and so the first two records were done there okay um 
and that was cool you know so you know um there's a lot of connections he's like josh peters played and 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 don don is an engineer he's also a guitar player yeah uh and 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 josh peters and i also had played in don's bands when he was still living in austin he's now in la uh but he had he had a band for a while well he has an all he called the called the jazz destroyers okay and uh and and peters and i uh played in that group when it was in Austin as well. So it was like, these are like, you know, more connections after the fact. Yeah. That, that was, <laughs> sounds familiar too. And, and actually, I think we played in that group together before you joined Atlas My Own. I think, yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like for a couple of years, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was even asking earlier, um, <clears throat> the chron, you know, the chronology, help say that word for me somebody <laughs> i wish i could speak english <laughs> i'm supposed to be able to speak that language but anyway yeah we feel like we're d- definitely jumping around i'm like oh is that something we talked about before we started the zoom but um yes but you guys had actually played together or no- knew each other like for a few mm-hmm. years before you know uh josh peters joined atlas Miller. yeah yeah at least at least like probably I want to say it was almost three years. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So back to the albums as a general, like, because it's, you know, nowadays and, and with the pandemic, like you said, you got a lot of practice and stuff. A lot of guys, myself and everybody, like everything got turned upside down. All of a sudden there were no gigs and tours. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, their, their home recording and even just any kind of, inter, you know, the ability to do things on your own, at least for you know, and get a pretty darn good demo if not a full on recording nowadays is definitely, you know, an option a lot more than it ever was. And the czars being a great example, we did, we've done two complete soundtracks at this point, pretty much all remote, you know, for the most part. And uh, I did it several projects. I did kind of remote, you know, Mm-hmm. stuff like that over the pandemic but that's you know the czars are obviously different with the soundtrack but a lot of rock and you know pop and this kind of music it's like you know you're you're working off of a click and you lay down and you a lot of times you build these things up track by track with your music what you guys do uh now you talked about doing some overdubs and, and stuff on on palindrome but like for the most part are you guys recording live as a group or because it it doesn't seem I'm, I'm curious about how you re, i mean is it always different or are you are you more of a live you know recording live type band or do you I would think you would be more that way than the sort of the layered sort of pop you know more of a jazz approach right you're like playing together how to tell tell us about that what's what's that process like Yeah I mean at least on the last the most recent record um that is yet to come out and I can't speak to Riptide or the the ones before that but the the things that i've done we've done um with pretty minimal overdubbing so we'll do three or four live takes of each track and then go through at the end and see okay well this this is our favorite of this one this is the favorite of this one and you're talking the whole band playing whole right? band playing right. yeah okay. and then if there are any things if it's like you know okay we really like this take but there's this one little thing that we want to fix, then somebody might do an overdub or we might try to edit something in the DAW or whatever. Uh, But yeah, I think at least in recent years, and I would expect that it's been that way, the life of the band. Yeah. I think if, if anything, um, I feel like we're, we're the band is recording more efficiently 
Um, and we're like, we're knocking it out in a couple takes. And then later, you know, like if somebody wants to overdub a solo, uh, you know, you know, you can give it a rip, you know, you, you right. want to go through and do something you want to add. Like when we did these singles with Ali Pervez Mehdi, uh, with, um, the, uh, with that process, like, uh, Josh Peters did a number of, um, percussion overdubs. Mm-hmm. I, I think you may have, didn't you, I think you may have re-recorded a Oud solo maybe in there or something. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but mostly like I, myself, like I always like to give, you know, with solos and stuff, you know, you know, um, uh, we, you know, I like to have the, the option of, of, of overdubbing something and getting it how you really want it. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I find that when you do, when you're recording as a live group, there tends to be a solo you know, that, you know, you know, if you have your shit together, <laughs> you, you know, like during the process of recording it with the band, a lot of times that solo that is the best ends up being what's played with the live band anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like maybe you fly it over from another take or something in the editing process. But it's something. organic. It's in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's in the moment. It, like, like the Ali Pervez stuff we did uh, when we did Nazuk. Um, I think we kept my solo from like the scratch take or something or like, yeah. Yeah, it I was think crazy. It was like, yeah, it was like the the first solo you did on the whole night. Yeah, it's crazy. We all, we all just agreed. It was like, no, that's the one. Like that's there's, the one we're gonna use. There's something said for that, man. I I feel that a lot from, uh, yeah, and from a solo standpoint in particular, right? Because it's something that's being created in the moment. You know, it's 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 so much of it has to do with vibe. Obviously, you don't want to be bad notes and stuff, but. I, I found that in myself, just even in the rock genre or whatever. Like a lot of times, I'll improvise something on a demo, and then I'm like, I go back and learn it note for note, or have even flown it in and just you know, you know, uh, put some little audio post production bells and whistles on it. But yeah, yeah, man, because there's something to be said for capturing capturing the vibe, and then it's like I don't want to mess with that once it's there if I can help it, or as little as possible. Yeah. Yeah, and and a lot of times, like that's what you want on a recording is for you to have the most genuine, honest yeah. expression and connectedness with the band, and you, when you're listening to the band and together, you're creating this moment. You know, because you know, like you may be able to punch in and and rip some wilder lines or something, but is that really the vibe or the feeling that you're going for? You yeah. Know? Yeah, and, yeah. and because to me that's what's most important you know and if it happens to have that well great but you know and that also becomes the, that's a long process both as a musician developing you develop all this theory knowledge techniques you know all these things and then it's a matter of like context right yeah i know yeah. this i know that is it right for this song so i need to use this here do i need to rip here what am i trying to say what's the you know and it's yeah. all gonna be a bit, little bit different but but uh i agree man like it, you once you start overthinking things you can do it too much and then you start kind of beating the life out of something or whatever came yeah. out spontaneously was yeah said in the moment especially like that's a two-part thing because it's the training and the you know just the the a musician um in of themselves, right? Just the maturity as a musician to sort of know con- context and all that, right? But then, even more so, within the con- within a band and playing together and playing off of each other, right? And really, yeah. that becomes a very intuitive thing. Um, and if you nail that, like, yeah, that's great. You don't want to mess with it, you know? 
Yeah. And I think it's good to really trust like, like your guys, you know, in the room or whoever, however, I mean, obviously if you're producing music a certain way or whatever, but like, right. but like, you know, for example, you know, like, like last week I, I was on a session and I was tracking some solos and, you know, um, I wasn't attached to anything, you know what I mean? You know, uh, I, I try to give, you know, options because we were, we were actually retracking solos from another session. And it was like, you know, um, even like, even with overdubs, it's like, well, what has the best vibe? And, and in this context, it was better that we had two horn players, you know, soloing, you know, kind of like looping the solos. Cause then you get into more of like, it feels like you're really playing and you're not just like rolling in and like punching in over. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's actually like some live playing happening where we're exchanging ideas and it's, you know, cause I, 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 I like creating having as much of that as possible in an organic vibe, you know, doing it the other way or whatever. I mean, there's a million ways to make a record and they're all valid. But for the context of Atlas Myer, this is what right, we're right. It's contingent on yeah. what you're stylistically, and this being like, yeah, for lack of a better way of putting it, sort of like I mean, a worldly, you know, sort of jazz group, right? It it has to do with that in the moment improvisation feel, right? Yeah, kind of the goal, I guess. There um, now, when you guys like, so you have you know the riffs and 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 you know the melodies and whatever for lack of a better mm -hmm. way like a, you know in the song the context do you feel yourself like uh are there certain songs where you're like you know okay this this has really worked i like the recording and i'm kind of kind of move along that and not deviate too far and then maybe other stuff where you're like now this is just where i go to the moon and back you know depending or or does that that change i imagine maybe it changes based on how long you've been playing it how long it's been around who the musicians you're playing with you know what i mean does it do you kind of have a different take on on each song in a sense, or is it always just like reinventing it when you when you when you hit go? I mean, I would say that I don't know how you feel about this, Peters, but like I feel like there's certain key parts of each tune, you know, the, like you have written parts, written sections, and certain established approaches like that give give each song uh, its particular character like you know like there's a specific rhythm that's played here you know but sometimes you know you know the, the solos you know who the hell knows what's gonna happen <laughs> right however you I feel mean, that night yeah, yeah. i mean I, it should be that i mean i you know yeah um yeah but you know i, I mean i mean we've we definitely like don't you know stick uh, i i mean i mean we're definitely we like to change things in songs that are, are already composed we like to move stuff around. We like to tinker with things. We like to think about how one tune fits into a live context with going into another tune. You know, um, set lists are really fluid. They change a lot. You know, we don't have one set. Right. The songs are always moving around. Right. Uh, right. And hopefully we have more and more of that happening as, you know, in the coming months with as we're adding new songs and material. Yeah. Uh, but it's always a fluid thing where, we, you know, we don't have we don't have like a show. You know what I mean? Like it's not like oh, we start with this tune and we're gonna end with this tune. I mean, you may hear, you may come to five Atlas Meyer shows and you may hear all five of those songs, but you know, it's not it's, gonna be the same order. It's not the same set every night, of course. No, yeah. it, no, and it never has been that way ever. Do yeah. you do you compose in terms of like do you write the music out and say here's you know these are the melodies for this song or is it a communicated thing or like ha listen to this. And if you have any questions, let me know, like how do you approach it in terms of com composing the com um, composed parts? 
I, I mean, you know, part of part of the thing with Josh Peters joining the group is we had to learn how to write music together, and that was like a, a pretty interesting process. And it, yeah, and and it turns out that it, it, I think it's been working pretty good. Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> I think it's been working well. I mean, better than I actually thought it would be working. I, there's always a trial period. I mean, because you know we co-write stuff together. You know, sometimes Josh Peters will have a whole chart because he's a a mastermind at charting, and you know he's very skilled at doing that cranking out charts for the bass players, everything. Uh, right. So he's, the, he's the, definitely the scribe of the band. Um, yeah. I'm probably the more the madman of the band. <laughs> I don't know. There's <laughs> something like that, but you, you know, it's a give and take. There's a lot of back and forth. Right. Um, yeah. I, I feel, I feel like we're that, that I, I feel one thing I really like about how we write music is that I think we're, we're open to a lot of different things and, yeah. and, and we don't have like attachment too much, you know, um, yeah but also respecting each other's musical ideas you know right yeah um, you know yeah we try to you know, i think a lot of times um we'll we'll have we'll kind of get together and just play you know and and see what comes out and somebody will play something and we'll say okay what's that let's let's develop that and then we'll kind of take that through. Okay, let's see. How does it feel if it's longer? How does it feel if it's shorter? What if we put it in this meter? What if we put it in this key? What if we add this other thing to it? Okay, that's cool. What if we what if we reverse those two things? So it's a lot of just right. kind of like not afraid to experiment and tinkering and experimenting. Yeah, tinkering, and yeah. you know, we might start with one idea, and by the end of the writing process, it's been transformed into something that is almost unrecognizable from what it started as but it's still yeah. kind of coming from that place and it's still um and in terms of like how we communicate it it's uh it starts very orally so we're just playing and we're talking through things and we're singing through things and we're experimenting and then usually i'll make some kind of written uh like not a full chart, but just like, here's all the ideas, you know, here's all the little melodic pieces that we're working with. And I'll make notes about like, we're thinking about doing this or this, or this might be the form or, and then once we solidify it, there'll be some kind of MIDI demo track created. And that'll get sent out with the chart to the rhythm section players. And we'll work with that and rehearse it. And then by the time it's rehearsed, then, you know, a lot of times things will change in that process too. Yeah. Like, you know, this, maybe I'll have an idea for a rhythm that we want to use, but then it ends up changing based on what the, the actual drummer is doing. Right. Um, and there may be new ideas that come out of those rehearsals that will add into the, the final composition. So you said, and you said you had a new album on the horizon has been tracked and mixed and everything, or where are you at in that process? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 done. It's done. We're we're getting ready to make decisions about um, releasing it. So uh, we're excited. It's called uh, Hadal, and uh, it's a pretty uh, <laughs> it's a, it's it's a trippy record. I would say uh, I don't I don't know what to say about it. It's uh, well, it's a pandemic record. We yeah. we we tracked it during the pandemic, so it's coming out of that spirit, um, and it's. Um, yeah, there's like there's like super tight compositions, uh, and then there's like wild freak out nine eight rhythm uh, expansionist concepts. Uh, 
Cool. So it's yeah. Yeah, any guest musicians on that? Were these uh, singles? Are these singles you released recently? That's not part of that album, is it? Or no, no, no. Gonna... Yeah, uh, on this on this record, we have um, another one of our longtime bassists who now lives in France, Tarek Hassan on bass, and then we have both Stefan Del Bosque on drums and Aaron Parks on drums together. So we have it's a record with two drummers cool. playing together. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Uh, let's see. What else you got? You got anything else, Vic? Because this is where we start asking random shit that has nothing to do with music. <laughs> can't just talk about music. I actually, no. I do wanna. I do, but like now, I'm in. Uh, I'm in over my head with with all, all this stuff. I I can't just be like. So is that like Mixolydian? I don't know. Like. I, one thing I am fascinated about is the microtonal, like the idea with this fretless instrument. You're kind of doing the microtones and getting all that. Now, yeah. I, I once uh, hung, hung out with a band. This was years ago. They came down for South by, and they were kind of like a pop rock band or something. But they all, they, I, I want to say they were from Turkey, and they, mm-hmm. they knew these different systems, and they were yeah. talking about you know seven different tones within the spectrum of our one tone. It's kind of crazy thing to think. Yep. Have you guys, I imagine if there's anyone to talk to, to this about, you guys would be some of the guys to talk to. Like um, now, obviously, like on the the woodwinds and the horns, right? You're kind of limited. I guess you can kind of bend and. I mean, you can play outside. You know, you can kind of bend. Yeah, you can. Suppose, you can get right? there. Yeah, but it's not so much maybe like the the idea of the oot, right? Like where you kind of. I, I do you think and do you hear these in a microtonal system? Are you thinking because what we have a hundred cents? That's a lot, right? Between two notes, mm-hmm. is that right? Like, and so now you're almost going like, well, now you're going by 10 cents or 12 cents or 15 cents. Yeah. You're kind of really hearing those, which you can if you listen, right? When you're tuning. Yeah, no, you can hear it. Um, And if you practice and you listen um, in these, within these systems, you get pretty good at hearing it. Um, And those smaller kind of demarcations become more obvious. And you can really tell the difference between like, um, for instance, there's two modes in uh, Arabic maqam, uh, Bayati and Rost. And they use, if you look at them written out, they're the same, but it's kind of like the difference between Ionian and Dorian. Hmm. So Rost is kind of more of a major quote-unquote sound, and Bayati is more of a, it has a flat third, you know. Um, but the 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 microtonal pitches for Rost, it's the third pitch. And so it sounds like kind of a flat major third, mm. but not a minor third. And then for Bayati, it's the second pitch. So it sounds like it's kind of halfway between a Dorian sound and a Phrygian sound. Right. Okay. But you but there's a there's an even subtler difference between the two. So when you're playing Rost, the microtone is actually slightly higher than when you're playing Bayati. That do you think a microtones? If you were to dissect that and get real, it does, is that something you could fit into sense? Is that could you think of it in those terms or no? I mean, the Turks do that. They yeah. have a system called uh, it's the coma coma system, and, and so you each, actually and it is actually labeling all these notes. Like you yeah. have more notes, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, because you have nine pitches between R one pitch. Shit. So nine comas make a full semitone, right? And so when you're looking at Turkish notation and theory, 
it'll say, okay, this Makam has, you know, Doe, and then Ray is five comma flat, and then me is normal, and oh, so, you so on and so forth. So you have, you can, and you know, there's like, and there's different uh, accidental symbols to denotate like, okay, this is one comma flat. This is five commas flat. This is seven comma flat, you know, and there's certain, certain ones that are used more frequently, like not every comma is necessarily used, but it's, it's kind of like cut up that way. That's where they divide it, you know? But you don't necessarily play every single, you know, little increment. Uh, do you find in general that the scales have more tones for that reason, or do you still find a lot of stuff that's similar, like a seven tight tone type thing, except for that's just manipulations within each of those tones? Like, yeah, most of them are are like seven tone scales. That's interesting. But it's broken up. It's not thought of as a full scale like that, the way we think about scales. It's thought of in um, smaller chunks, tetrachords. Ah, okay. And the Malcoms are all built based on combining different tetrachords. So if you have the... So it's usually either three or four note uh, little groupings. Hmm. And so if you want like to, to go back to the Malcolm Rost example, so Rost is like... <laughs> One, two, half flat three, four. And so that's that's the uh the tetrachord. Okay. So if you stack two of those, so if you do a, a Rost tetrachord and then another one, you get the full Rost Makam. Hmm. Okay. But then you can also put a different tetrachord on the top. Like is- and then you get a new Makam. Or you can change the bottom one and you get a new Makam. And this is how you kind of modulate between is you have these pivot notes between the two where the two tetrachords link up. In terms of instrumentation, is this typically a string based instrument and maybe vocals? Like, I mean, that's such a unique style and you get from that, from those, you know, vocals because of Mm -hmm. all that too, I'm assuming, right? Like I wouldn't see it so much in the, you know, brass and woodwind family, or am I totally wrong? Is this more of a string? There's, There's a lot of woodwinds. Um, really there's a lot of that way. Yeah. Tuned I mean, specifically or tuned specifically that way okay. or just able, you can just do it by ear, you know, cause there's certain, there's a lot of wind instruments that. Yeah, I guess so. Know, I mean, honestly, like seems like you don't uh, necessarily have all the pitches on your instrument, but you can hit it by ear and by, I, you know, Yeah, I would say that in a lot of ways, brass instruments at least in my opinion, it, 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 like, like I feel like trombone is like an instrument that can probably right. be a great microtonal instrument. Oh yeah. But, yes. but I've never even, but I've never heard it in that. Context. Well, if I was going to go try to yeah. play trombone, if it, even if I could make sound, that would be, I, that would be a success. And then everything would be microtonal. <laughs> I have no goddamn idea how to play it. So <laughs> yeah. I, next time I see you guys play, if you're down a horn player, I'm gonna be like, Hey, I could just jump up. Just there. jump on and try. <laughs> hey, yeah, man. Just come on. Up. Jam, bro. <laughs> yeah, 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 bro. It was just jamming for hours. Yeah. Man. <laughs> so it'd be great. It'd be great. <laughs> I'm gonna de nerdify just a hair and get back yeah, to, yeah. Our, to to yeah. our twelve tone system. Yeah. Do you guys uh, just in uh, in nerd you know uh, you know harmonic nerd land over here for a minute? Are you uh, are there any particular modes scales that you find yourself using quite a bit uh, just stylistically that that vibe with a lot of stuff you you do? 
Uh, Any personal favorites, I guess, just as an improviser in general? I don't know. I mean, that's kind of a silly question. Like, what's your take? favorite mode? That's dumb. I mean, what's your favorite I mean, I mode, Nick? My favorite Dorian. mode. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Let's pop that collar. That's right. <laughs> yeah, Dorian's great. I mean, and I kind of, I don't know. I really enjoy melodic minor ascending. Hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. The jazz and, melodic minor, I guess. You right. And also the, uh, what do they call it? Harmonic major, I think, where you have a flat six and flat seven. It's like it's like Mixolydian flat six. Hold on a second. That one's cool. Well, I always heard that referred to as the Hindu scale, Mixolydian Hindu. flat six. Interesting. Yeah. What about the uh, major minor? I'm a fan of that. What the major mean? minor. Yeah, that's gonna be fun. Yeah. Uh, what is we that? We need to get back. Uh, we need to get back. I think it's just uh, it's just a uh, flat three. Oh, well, like, you're melodic minor, right? Yeah, it's like melodic minor. And a lot of jazz thing. guys, yeah. right, you think kind of melodic minor, but then all, the altered scale, right? Just playing off of, I mean, I yeah. love that, just the idea. Altered of scale's great. Diminished scales. Altered, yeah. uh, uh, diminished scales scale. are fantastic. I love a good diminished scale. Um, Let me ask you guys this in regards to diminished scale. So you have the diminished half or, you know, whole half and then the half whole. Yeah. How do you, what's, what's, how do I say this? Like, what's the true diminished scale? Does that make sense, right? Because, or there's just two ways of doing it. And you just think of the tonic either way. Are you following? Yeah, no. yeah. I mean, it's it's one. It's it really just depends on where you're starting, you know. Because yeah. it's it's all one. It's all just whole half, whole half, whole half, mm -hmm. you know. But it, if you start on the, and it evokes, you get a different feeling, you know. If you start on the half step part you get like an altered dominant. Sound. That's exactly what I was just thinking. I and did. if you start on the whole step part, you get more of a diminished sound. But okay, if you start on the whole step part from the third of the chord, you get a really nice altered dominant sound. So from it the depends third, right. from the third of the chord. So it, you know, to me, it's just like whatever way you can think about it that makes sense to you is how you should think about it. Mm. Isn't there like a, is there an augmented scale, right? Is that a thing? Isn't it something? Yeah, like there's it? a mode. There's a mode of melodic minor that I think kind of like gives you that sound. I can't remember which one it is. Where you get a, uh, a sharp five. Now, when you guys are actually playing, are you, you're probably not even like thinking a lot on this really like that's the whole thing right you you learn this stuff you study it, you play it you put it in context and then in the moment you sort of you just it becomes more about like what you're trying to, to say like uh in terms of like just sounds right just just sounds yeah. kind of know how to make those sounds and how to land those notes to to create all those different colors right i was trying trying to talk of it in like saw so, like a sonic rainbow is one way i've kind of started <laughs> describing it right just you know, these different shades, right? Yeah. I, I'm, all, I'm just curious, like, how you guys might think about that or if you're even thinking that much or or if you're composing, are you throwing those kind of words around or not so much? Not so much. I mean, it's more of a thing you do in practice time. And right. then when it's game speed, you don't have time to think about it. I know this, like, us, us rock guys were like, oh, yeah, play that, like, that Megadeth sounding thing or that like, Oh yeah. And that, that faith, no more Melvin's idea. Do you, are yeah. you guys like, uh, Oh, <laughs> uh, Oh yeah. Do nice. that. Do that Coltrane thing. Do you guys, you guys use that? 
you ever throw any names around? Or with you guys, it would be shit I've never heard of. It'd be yeah. fucking guys <laughs> from India and stuff, you know? Oh, that, yeah, do that little Shankar lick. I don't, know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we really do that so much. Not so much. I mean, more kind of like, I mean, I know we've we've talked about like Ornette a few times in the writing process when we were working on some something and we're kind of like, oh yeah, this is kind of like sort of an Ornette Coleman vibe. More uh, recently, I, more actually, recently I, on the on the new recordings, yeah, on the new ones, yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think we really do too much of that. They'll only gonna, uh, they'll only ahead. do it when you go and play trombone with them when you yeah. jump up on stage. Like, yeah, when you jump hey, on the stage, we'll be like, "Hey, go man, and play do that, that shit. Yeah, <laughs> do, do that Ravi Shankar stuff. <laughs> no man, do that. Yeah, man, do that Faith No More shit on trombone, yeah, bro. But, yeah, but with uh, E half flat quarter tone bro yeah that's how i play all the faith and more songs it's just like it's my signature way of expressing their music the uh <laughs> what back now I, I, josh peters i we're just gonna nod and go oh yeah i love that because we, we're not gonna know any players but <laughs> josh thompson what are some of your biggest influences just from a saxophone saxophone standpoint uh People always ask me this, and I, I, I don't have a great answer, honestly. No, um, I, I get that, because when people go, who's your favorite guitar player? I'm like, ah, oh, dude, I, I fucking yeah. I can't. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 you know, honestly, I listen to, uh, well, it's, okay, saxophonist. All right, uh, you, you want names. Okay, uh, I really like Jackie McLean, uh, Joe Henderson on tenor. You know, oh, these man. are, you know, you know, these are like great. I mean, you know, I have to interject uh, real quick here because I forgot to tell you, uh, Thompson, there was a gig we played and the, that guy, Joe, uh, Shackelford that I've been playing with in my kind of solo thing, uh, told me that you sounded like Jackie McLean. Oh shit. That's yeah. a great compliment. Yeah. I thought you'd like that. Somebody told me recently that, that I sound, I have a feral quality to my playing. A feral quality. Hmm. Yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. I was, I was at the Bob Baluk Museum. I was, uh, I was playing a, with uh, Indomaj, uh, and someone's like, you have this feral quality to your playing. And then they're like, I hope you're not offended by that. And I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah anyways, continue. yeah, Jackie, yeah, Jackie McLean, um, uh, people that I respect like contemporary people right now like uh tim Byrne really influenced me specifically during the pandemic watching his practice videos on instagram when he goes online and he's like making fun of himself because he's like not from the from you know he's like obviously like <laughs> social media freaks him out but he's oh like yeah really, you know <laughs> it's like so awkward but they're like so great and he's just like making fun of himself but but like you know like i met tim Byrne when he came to austin a few years ago here and uh so you know he's a great new york alto player um dave rempus in chicago uh is an influence of mine as well uh amir al-safar uh on trumpet you know these are all people that we've actually been like have, have like been in contact with that's awesome even, yeah you know um fortunately for us you know um but you know um you know, I, you know, Coltrane is always an influence. You know, I, I mean, if you play saxophone and you're not influenced by, I mean, you know, just the learning the instrument, you're like, everyone plays out of the Omni book, you know, I mean, right. the Omni book is still great. It's still great. It's awesome. Like Bird, I mean, Bird is incredible, you know. Yeah. So anyways, there you go. 
There you that's go. Something. That's something. <laughs> that's good. We 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 wanted some names that we've heard of, that, and also that stuff that we can look up. That was perfect. Okay, great. I've checked some boxes here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this is checking boxes. Yeah, you answered yeah. the question. There was only one right answer. I'm amazed you got it completely right. But you did. <laughs> yeah. clearly, yeah. This is yeah, yeah. Now, now, so Peters, we're now you're going to name some uh, oud players, and Vic and I are going like, I love that guy. Oh like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, because I it would be great to like even know like oh where do I go listen to some more of this kind of music because you guys are, um, you know, for someone like me like you know I listen to a lot of different well Vic too like we listen to a lot of different stuff but this is like a whole nother thing I mean it's very worldly very eclectic it's influences from all over the the world I think it's it's really cool particularly talking to guys like you because we are going to hear names we've never heard we are going to hear about you know the different completely different systems uh different instrumentation yeah. so i i love just like what are some names if someone wanted to kind of look into uh you know playing that instrument like what are some big influences or names you might want to look into yeah yeah i mean and there's and trumpet too like both of those actually yeah and i was gonna say too like for me being a multi-instrumentalist like i'm influenced by sure you know, when i'm playing trumpet i'm I'm also thinking of, uh, you know, oud players and also trumpet players and piano players and drummers and, and the same when I'm playing, uh, playing oud, like, uh, you know, a lot of those other influences on other instruments are coming through too. But, um, yeah, I think the first, my first big, uh, influence was Anwar Brahim, um, who is a really fantastic, uh, Tunisian, Ode player who's done a lot of kind of fusion, uh, jazz fusion stuff. Um, and also Dafra Youssef is a big one, kind of also in that realm of kind of that east-west jazz makam fusion world. Um, more traditional players, uh, Nasir Shama is amazing. Uh, Simon Shaheen is always great. Uh, Farid Latrash, um, Munir Bashir, Munir Bashir. Um, these are like the heavy hitters of the yeah. instrument. Hamza Adin, Hamza Adin. I, I love Hamza. I have a couple of amazing Hamza Adin records. Um, I love particularly uh. Nubian and and Sudanese wood players too. Like there's some, it's a really cool sound. It's a lot more uh, kind of folksy and and different from the way a lot of other wood players uh, play. But yeah, I'm trying to think of some other some other big names. Munir Hamza, Bashir, of yeah. course. Hamza uh, Adin. Uh, sorry to interject, but uh, I was just yeah. going to say I, I think it's worth noting of like for the sake of this like podcast. Like a lot of people don't know that Hamza Adin lived in Austin, yeah, for, for almost a decade in the in the seventies, yeah, and and wow. taught at UT, and um, so you know I, I sometimes talk to people or like faculty or people like I know in the community if there's any stories about him being here, if there's any recordings of him being here, like lectures or uh, yeah. so that's that's something that like I feel like we should try to figure that out, huh. <laughs> yeah. You know, because it's part of the, it's it's part of the, the lineage and culture of our city, and most people have no idea, yeah, about this. And, and, and you know, and then you know, we're we're here talking about this music, and it's 
it's very relevant to note that like one of the masters of the oud lived here yeah uh, and taught and taught in austin like yeah wow. yeah cool yeah you i know? missed it <laughs> yeah yeah same <laughs> but uh and he, where's he yeah. originally from egypt yeah, San Antonio. <laughs> yeah. San, San, San Antonio. San Antonio. Yeah. Okay. New Braunfels, bro. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shirts. Get real, man. <laughs> but yeah, those are some. Those are some of the big ones that kind of pop into my head right away. Um, and then I'm also on. On the oh, I'm I'm definitely also influenced by like Indian Sarod players, um, like Ali Akbar Khan. Um, listen to him a lot and his his whole family um it's a similar similar kind of instrument in a way and um so there's some there's some good crossover that can happen there um and then trumpet wise it's always kind of changing for me like i'm you know of course miles um freddie hubbard lee morgan um Lately, I've been listening to a lot of Kenny Dorham and uh, Blue Mitchell. Um, trying to think, and then like Amir Safar is a huge influence. Ibrahim mm-hmm. uh, Malouf is another big influence. But um, trying to think, who else? Dave Douglas, uh, Don Cherry. Don Cherry is great, man. Yeah. That's uh, cool, man. John John Hassel is a really yeah. amazing player too for in terms of like modal playing and kind of drone and electroacoustic approaches to trumpet too. It's really cool. Yeah, I think that's cool. Like I, I know it's like one of those questions. It's like, oh God, you know, like how yeah, do it's I like I could just like, keep going. I, I'm, going. I know, right, I get it. But <laughs> but for guys like for me and, and Vic, like because if it was like a guitar player question or something, and I mean even then there might there would probably be names that I'm like, oh yeah, I really should explore that. I haven't heard that. But but I kinda it's this you, you kind of get, oh yeah, I know the guitar player heroes. But with these yeah. instruments, it's like completely different for me. So it's like it's cool to hear names that I'm like some of them like, oh, I recognize that name. Oh, definitely know and have heard that. Yeah, uh, and other ones though. Most of them, it's just like I don't know who that is. You know, it's like okay, yeah, let's go check out some some new stuff because obviously there's just a gajillion fantastic musicians around the world. But uh, yeah, yeah. Well, cool. Um, I want to ask a question specifically, which we pretty much yammer on on podcasts about this stuff anyway, because I love to eat. <laughs> but with you guys being so worldly traveled and uh, in a eclectic in your musical stylings are, does that uh, bleed into cuisine? Are you, uh, you know, are there some of these, some of these cuisines from some of these regions that you're really into, or are you just like a complete fraud and you, where you're like burger and ketchup guys? <laughs> <laughs> well, I like to eat. Um, absolutely. Um, yeah, we've, uh, there's been a there's been a lot of Arab cooking around here lately, and I've been been learning more about seasoning with sumac. Oh wow! Um, yeah, you know sumac. sumac. Sumac is like um, I could drop a bunch of names of dishes, but like sumac is like great on meat uh-huh. and on. I, I like to make it with. Um, I like to put it on asparagus. Oh yeah! Oh wow! It's, on, uh, it's really good. Yeah. It's great on on just like rice too. Great on rice. Yeah, amazing on rice. Uh, yeah, we like to cook a lot. And, it's great on hummus, yeah. and baba ganoush. Like, wow, cool. Sumac okay. is, yeah, it's amazing. 
Yeah, I'm a big cook. I actually worked, I've worked in kitchens a lot and uh, bakeries and, um, and yeah, I love, I mean, pretty much any, any cuisine you put in front of me, I'm, I'm going to eat it and enjoy it. Um, but lately I've been doing a lot of Japanese cooking, which has been really enjoyable. So oh, I think, I think Japanese, I think sushi, I think, uh, you know, Japanese steakhouse, very Americanized. <laughs> what's, what's some, uh, what's a little some Benihana there? Yeah. Little Benihana, right? Yeah. The Benihana, some, some oh, yeah. Totally authentic. Yeah. Catch the uh, yeah. shrimp in your mouth. Yeah. yeah. What's, uh, so what's some authentic Japanese cuisine? What's something you might cook that what we might not know, you know? Well, I've been doing, I've been cooking breakfast actually. Oh, oh, uh, okay. which involves, like you have miso soup, you have a couple of vegetable dishes, like um I think what I, I did a kunipiri or kunipira gobo, which is like burdock root and carrot that's sauteed in a a particular type of broth, and then you top it with sesame seeds, and then I did like a mixed veg sauteed vegetable thing with uh turnip and cucumber and carrot with like a soy sauce based sauce See, it sounds great do, i'm just not going to do all that because it's like i know i'm like eggs wow, and man, bacon. Yeah. i feel like and if i was rice and roommates do, uh... i would i would be thin <laughs> it sounds amazing it's an interesting yeah. breakfast though like that's not well it's a very yeah it's a it's awesome it's like this really savory breakfast and you have a little taste of like all these different things so you've got rice rice is really your main thing you've got a big bowl of rice miso soup hmm. a couple of vegetable dishes an egg thing. So you either do like a uh, tamagoyaki, which is like a, this kind of like sweet dense uh, omelet kind of thing, but not like an omelet. That's kind of the, the only transliteration I can think of. Hmm. Or you can do like a boiled egg or an onsen egg, which is like really awesome. So onsen egg the whites don't cook all the way, but the, the center cooks a little more. So you have this, it's almost like a poached egg. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the, the yolk is actually like a little bit more solid, but hmm. still kind of runny. Um, and then you put like some soy sauce and green onions on that. And then there's usually some kind of protein element. So you either have like some tofu or like a little grilled, like a small grilled fish or a, something like that. Um, but yeah, that's I did that breakfast a couple times this week, and then so, it sounds simple, man. Yeah, it's it takes some prep. Like you, <laughs> you gotta have to wake be, up at like three a.m. to eat by to like, but it's you worth know, it. You have to have some stuff ready to go. Uh, oh, but yeah, <laughs> makes for amazing. a great breakfast. And what did you say the spice was uh, that you were putting sumac. on? Sumac. sumac. Yeah. Sumac. sumac. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. dude. I'm amazing all about that stuff. spice. Yeah, I'm all about almost every cuisine. I'm sure I can speak for Vic. Yeah. Too. Right, here's a question, though. Anything you don't like to eat, any food at all that you're just like, no, won't do it? Green bell peppers. Not That's, a so, ran that's so random. <laughs> that is a random one because they're not offensive. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even I've never met anyone that's like, I'll eat anything except for green bell peppers, by God. that's hey, You just met one. <laughs> I just met you. There's the first time for everything. Yeah, I don't have anything. You'll eat anything. Pretty much, yeah. Mushrooms right out of the cow pie. Oh well, you, you know, I, 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 I did have um, what is that called? This this uh, this bean curd. 
uh, in China. Um, it's that it's that fermented bean curd. Oh yeah, yeah. And I, I had that uh, a couple times. It's oh my god! It was like I didn't know if I hated it or if I loved it or if I was on drugs. <laughs> I didn't know what was going <laughs> on. I had no it. idea. I didn't. I was like, "What is it? like? What am I? What am I? Where? I, what? What am I doing with myself?" And it was like nothing. It was a very, very super. Like just a. I don't know. It was a very like uh, trippy, visceral experience. It's a very. You know? you, it's definitely the most unique tasting thing I think I've ever eaten. It's so bizarre, and, and like, and, and part of it was I wasn't ready for it. I didn't know. You didn't know what that, was going to happen. <laughs> no, I didn't know. That's why it was so surreal. Because like I yeah. was, at this, yeah, I was like, wow, that's interesting. At least because yeah, like I was at bean yeah. curd. It's like not some weird animal part. That's no, like it, it just it looks like like it's like I, a it, fermented it, tofu product yeah. essentially. It just really loud and pronounced or yeah are uh, in general it hits you like a fist mm. <laughs> yeah almost like it's almost like a, a sensation of like if, if you have um wasabi mm-hmm. it's it's sort of like that but different yeah in its own strange yeah unique way i don't know how yeah. to describe it yeah one of those guys that i know like but i can't help myself like wasabi being the perfect example if i'm eating sushi like the sushi can be absolutely amazing and needs no nothing and i'll eat a piece just to be like mm, okay yes this is really but then i have to like douse it in <laughs> soy sauce and wasabi to the point to where like i'm physically you know sweating and hurting but i can't help myself because it's that so maybe i'd like this bizarre bean curd you speak you of. might like it you it may, yeah yeah De- definitely try it if you get try the opportunity. it yeah definitely i mean it's like it. if, imagine like, i'm in china i'll just uh <laughs> yeah that's something like a, to pick up at HEB. <laughs> like a really stinky blue cheese. Oh God! Well, covered okay. in covered in wasabi. Oh, like is it slimy like, too? Like a like kind of the fermented slimy. I know it's, it's Japanese. It, it was kind of, it was kind of it, yeah, it's a little slimy. Yeah. Okay. So like slimy tofu blue cheese wasabi somewhere oh, in that sounds world. amazing, but kind of right. spicy too. Like yeah, it's very aromatic. It's, it's intense. It's good. What stuff. was that? What was it called? I don't know the I don't name. Know, I don't know. Chinese, I don't even know. No. I don't even know what the name of it is either. Okay. Uh, I just had it when I was in China. It's like uh, Vic's over there googling, right, Vic? Because that's uh, no. I was just trying to look at foods that I I wouldn't eat. So <laughs> I was trying to think <laughs> of the ones. Whatever the fuck that is, probably uh, number one on the list right now. <laughs> uh, that, no, that would be behind. That would be behind the what was it? Balut. Balut, balut. What is those that? eggs? Those partially fertilized eggs that are boiled that you get in oh, like Southeast Asia. You get Asia. like a baby chicken inside the egg. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm nice. staying away from those things. Uh, yeah, Go for it, bro. <laughs> You're like, fuck it. yeah, I love eating extra, extra live octopuses and shit right off the street market. You do that kind of stuff. Go for it, man. You only live yeah. once, man. Just, fuck just it. <laughs> why you the hell like not? That. Well, it's like yeah. you know what? The, what do you? What else are you gonna do with yourself? What else are you gonna do? It makes sense that you would be like. To me, there's a parallel, like the, the cuisine, and the in that you're a fearless improviser in the jazz realm, and you know, very open to new styles and cultures. So why wouldn't cuisine be the same way? It'd be tragic if both you guys were like chicken fried steak for me. <laughs> it's like the most weird thing in the world. Like these guys yeah. only eat chicken fried steak, and they love America, but they're like amazing <laughs> jazz. <laughs> 
fucking love America, man. Love American chicken fried <laughs> steak. Anyway, we're Atlas Muir, and here's some Indian music. <laughs> there was a, yeah, we're just going to play this rock now for two right. hours. Yeah. Eddie, Eddie KFC on stage. <laughs> Uh, let me know when that show happens. I'll fucking be there. Oh, hey, you're bone. The music's just not enough. I've got to see you guys eating KFC. It's got to be reality. T- Once you yeah, dumb yeah. it down to reality TV level, I'll be like, yeah, man, KFC. Yeah. <laughs> when, uh, whenever Sahara serves KFC, I'll be there. Just, just let me know. Okay. Yeah, right. we'll just bring the truck in. We'll, we'll just yeah, yeah. KFC truck, truck. Like, uh, featuring the They kernel. do that now. I was, like, I was like driving down the street and I saw like a Wendy's like taqueria truck. No, have you seen this shit? No, no. It's it's like around now. Like oh no, truck. So the corporations yeah. are fucking ruining even more. Like we had our we had our like yeah. uh, ethnic food right. trailers and signature awesome. That now that now like McDonald's. I'm surprised there's not a goddamn McDonald's food truck on every corner. Being like, are you sure you want to buy that quality food? You know, like yeah. ours is right here too. Diarrhea <laughs> in five minutes. Yeah. You know you want it. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, man. So what else we got, Vic? I think we're probably about it. I think we, I feel like this has been pretty good. Like once we got it rolling, um, you know. Oh, you mean just, after after I was you know using sign language to communicate? Right after, after, you, after we <laughs> transcended that moment, I'll just pretend you ate whatever that Chinese bean <laughs> curd yeah. was, and uh, you were just having an acid flat. Maybe that was it. Maybe we were having residual flashbacks. I would, um, you know what? I wish that couldn't was the case, speak. Man. Everything was actually <laughs> fine. You just I would, I would feel better about it. Yeah. 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 Everything <laughs> was totally fine. It's just that shit hit. Yeah. It was somewhere in your spinal your spine, and it just it. You know, you weren't able to speak in coherent, you know, sentences. Just a bean curd bliss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man. I want some of that shit, man. Sounds good. We did it all the time back in the '60s. All right. So. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So uh, you got some shows coming up. Of course, we're this ain't going to be Aaron by the time you guys play. I think you said it was like the twenty fourth, right? I doubt. Yeah, it'll, that's right. It'll be a few weeks, but, but man, we're I playing, might try to yeah, catch that show actually. That's going to be great. August, yeah. Wait a minute. It's uh, July twenty fourth. July twenty fourth, which yeah. may be past. But then we're playing. Up. Then we're playing August eleventh at. Uh, Green Day. Green Day. And, then, yeah. and then I think the nineteenth at. Uh, is it Central Market? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Westgate. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I know yeah, where we're. I know where we're playing. It's that's good. <laughs> yeah, well done, <laughs> sir. You passed all these tests. You're doing great. Yeah, man. The key, the key for you is you have to be on Zoom, and then it goes and it's smooth sailing. Fermented bean curds. Yeah. Yeah. Brain food. All right. Well, uh, you got anything else you want to plug? I mean, people can find you guys. The website's just the atlasmuir.com. Yeah. Uh, you're on all the yep, social, yeah. uh, YouTube. Any any other projects? Any other things you guys want to talk about or plug before we get out of here? I think that's it. Yeah. That's it for us. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, Joshua Thompson, Joshua Peters, thank you guys so much for joining us and educating us on this very special podcast. We learned. I mean, if I had if I hadn't smoked so much weed and I had any capacity for memory, I would have taken away so much from this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> nice thing is now it's a thing that exists and I can come re-listen to it and be like, "Oh yeah, cool." I'm yeah, check that out. So I gotta buy a trombone. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I knew you guys fucked up, man. This is my new endeavor. I go get a trombone, start showing up at all your shows. Be like, I wish we'd have never done that podcast, son of a bitch. <laughs> with a with a bag full of KFC and a trombone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. KFC. 
see it drop KFC, out. Man. Yeah. Fermented, some fermented beans. I'll just follow you guys around. Be like, uh, when are you going to get me on stage? <laughs> you know what, man? We should just like, what we should do is we should have like, uh, like some kind of random event where we take you with the KFC, the trombone with the fermented bean curd, and then we create some kind of like abstract yes. piece of artwork. Yeah, and then, we, and then we'll project you onto stage behind the show. I'm very much down with that idea. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that as soon as we sign off, that will never have any more thought given to it. But if for some <laughs> crazy reason you have a flex capacitor moment, um, I'm down with that. So, yeah, awesome, brother. Yeah, yeah dude, and uh, yeah. man, it's so great seeing you again and talking, dude. I'd, I'd yeah. love to have you on a recording sometime and cool. uh, you know on something I do or or whatever. And uh, I'll I'll be in touch with you guys, man. I'll definitely make a show and uh you know um, yeah yeah please. But uh, so glad that our paths crossed and I saw you yeah and and uh, you know we were able to touch base and make this happen. So thank you guys so much for uh, being on the podcast and uh, I'll let you know when this is coming out. And uh, ev- that is uh, Atlas Muir, everybody. The two Joshes, and this is uh, Skunk Manhattan with Victor Rabo signing off once more very professionally. Until next time, take care. Hey, folks, that concludes another episode of the podcast. Guest links will be available in the show notes. We'd like to thank our friends at Top Shelf Music for showcasing the podcast on their site. Be sure and check them out at TopShelfMusicMag.com for the latest music news, reviews, and events. We'd also like to thank the folks over at Tragon Guitars, Golden Guitars, Ernie Ball Strings, and Five Iron Woodworks. Have a great week, and catch you on the next one.